And we're back with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 281, aka Year 6, Week 31, uh, coming at you this week. As always, I'm your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich, along with MC KS. And KS, uh, we, we went over this during the pre-show. We're starting to get some of that feedback again. I can hear myself uh, probably coming from your speakers, so if we can get that turned down uh, going forward, I'd appreciate it. Otherwise, uh, this is your weekly call-in show. So if you'd like those numbers, those are 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. That's 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. Uh, so what is going on with you guys this week? Well, we're talking about uh, a pretty good uh, nifty idea about uh, face masks uh, as a, a, a kind of a protest against masks. But if you have to wear a mask, why not wear a bulletproof one? Because that's what I'm doing, bitches. Uh, <laughs> I I was trying to I was trying to convince a bunch of friends up here to get it. So I called the companies, like, hey, if we get a bulk order, you know, like how much do we have to get, and what sort of discount do you offer? Um, and this one company, the 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 mask was like you know 250 bucks, and they're like, well, we can get it down to like you know 160 or whatever, but you got to order like a hundred. It's like mm. ah, I don't have that many friends. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Then another company was going to bring it down to like I think two sixty five. Their mask was retailing at three forty nine. They were going to bring it down to like two sixty five. Uh, if I could get twenty people, uh, and I got like three other people who were interested, maybe two other people who were like gave me a solid yes. And I went ah no. And then I just called them, you know, and just to ask around, like you know, what's the, where are they made, right? Because if I'm going to pay you know an extra hundred bucks for one of these things, um, I need to know that there's a substantial value proposition for that extra hundred bucks. Um, and in talking to one of the experts at one of the companies that sells a whole bunch of, uh, ballistic gear, um, the answer was not much like it was, you know, one's made in China, the other's made in Taiwan. There's not really a, an American foundry that you can trust for good old made in the USA quality. Um, and I said, well, okay, like, let's be real. If you were, if you needed this to protect your life, um, would you be okay wearing the you know the the hundred dollar less chinese one and she went yes i would i'm like all right sold so i got you know the the chinese made and they're supposed to be like when i mentioned the name she was all happy she's like oh yeah no those are good they make they make quality stuff even though it's made in china mm -hmm. so i'm i'm fairly satisfied you know i got the 25 bucks off so i got mine for 225 uh plus shipping yeah and yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff that's made in China that is really, really good. And that, I think that's one of the reasons why most of the stuff is not just because it's cheaper, but, you know, people value it and uh, they keep buying it. So it's not known for quality, though. Let's be real. Like when you hear China, you, you, you hear like affordable. You, but right? a lot of the stuff that I have in my house that is quality is made in China. So I, I, I don't. Uh, I don't think about that. You know, there's there's good companies and bad companies in China. Okay. So and this is a good one apparently. So I'm you know, sure, sure. So for a hundred bucks, for a hundred bucks less, uh, you know, and that's the other thing I told him. Like I'm willing to pay, you know, uh, a premium to get you know the 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 Taiwanese made mask. Right. It mm -hmm. seems to be better. We'll see. Um, but I'm not willing to pay like a forty percent premium. So if we can narrow that window down, um. Uh, you know, maybe I, maybe I'd willing to pay a little bit more and she couldn't, she couldn't squish those numbers enough for me to, to, to change my mind. So hopefully it comes in soon. And in concert with this, um, uh, you know, again, because my goal is, uh, malicious compliance, um, and it may not fall exactly into that category, but if you're going to, if masks are going to be mandated everywhere, right. I want to have the meanest, nastiest, most menacing mask you can find. <laughs> right so i've got now i got the bulletproof mask coming i'm gonna black out the eyes uh with mesh you know that, that i can that i can see through but you still can't really like you know when you're looking at somebody you like to be able to look into their eyes it's the window to the soul well it protects you from coronavirus too because you don't want uh, the virus to sneak in through the eyes you've got to have a uh a coating there too right that's what okay so fauci did say that and I don't know if this crossed your radar because this was like more of a north northeastern thing. Um, Maine, did you hear this story coming out of Maine about the the face masks and the face shields? No. Okay. So 
this came on my radar a couple of days ago and it seemed outrageous um, and yet true. So the new issue, the new orders coming out of Maine for, uh, for, for front of the house restaurant servers is you can wear a face shield, but you have to wear it upside down attached around the neck, like a collar. So the shield goes up. <laughs> and so the picture uh, uh, associated with this headline was, you know, a waitress wearing a, a fucking dog cone. Right. Right. Because yeah. that's the visual that you get when you have a face shield upside down attached around the neck as a collar. Uh, and so, you know, so I posted this uh, to the 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 uh, host group on Free Talk Live, hoping that they would cover it, um, you know, <laughs> during, the, during the radio show, since I'm not going to be on until tomorrow night. Um, and one of the hosts posted back. He's like, hey, dude, uh, I can't find any other source for this story except the, you know, the, the we hate the government, uh, you know, we hate, you know, the the state bad type of outlets. And I go, okay, dude, like the story that I posted in the group uh, was the only one that was the nearest one that I found that had that really cool picture of the waitress wearing a dog collar. But the original source that I found, it linked to uh, the actual order coming out of, of Maine. So from like Maine.gov. And so I found the, the, I found the original link. I sent it back to him and imagine his dismay. Um, and then I screenshotted it in case those fuckers go back and change it. And it's like, no, no, we didn't say that. So here's, here's the quote, Ken, uh, for you for, from, uh, the August 14th update, the phase two reopening for restaurants straight from straight from main.gov. Employees require employees to wear cloth face coverings and practice good hand hygiene. It is acceptable for kitchen staff to wear face shields in lieu of masks when the when the kitchen or weather is warm. Front of house staff may wear a face shield in lieu of face covering only if the shield is designed to be worn inverted, attaching below the face, and this is even in there, e.g. as a collar, and open at the top of the shield with the shield extending above the eyes and laterally to the ears. Face shields that open at the bottom, directing breath downward, are not acceptable replacements for face coverings for front of house staff. So it's in there. Like, that's that's from the governor of Maine. Thoughts? So, like, how so bad? Dog collars would be quite suitable then for this. Uh, well, the dog cone would be suitable. You'd have to cut it down so you can see through it. But I guess she doesn't want uh, front of the house, like when the waitress brings the food to the table, if she's breathing into the mask and it's deflecting downward, mm-hmm. right? Well, that's not good. So it has to deflect upward into the general air where it can waft in God knows how many directions. Mm-hmm. Oh, crazy. So, yes. So, and, you know, reading that, I went out and found my dog collar. Uh, that I've been known to wear in the past because in order to go along with my uh, menacing face mask, my bulletproof mask, that's, you know, scary as all hell. At least that's the goal. Um, I'm not going to talk through that thing. So I'm going to dangle a a Bluetooth speaker from my neck and chest. um, And I'm just going to like have a a text-to-speech app on my phone. So I'm just going to type shit on my phone and then let that speak for me as you know, I stand there all blacked out with a bulletproof mask on, uh, ordering, you know, a meal or paying for groceries or whatever it is. <laughs> but as a side benefit, if somebody shoots you in your face, you'll, you'll be protected also. Yes, I will. <laughs> and you're increasing their motive to do so just to test it. <laughs> maybe we'll see. We'll, we'll hope the Chinese product holds up. <laughs> The the wonderful here's the thing the wonderful thing about New Hampshire Ken is it's it's a uh, it's a constitutional carry state so in order to test that you have to assume that the dude with the bulletproof face mask is not armed himself right because if you try to test it you might get shot and I know you're not wearing a bulletproof mask because you're not <laughs> right you 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 only get to test it once because if I'm still standing you're 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 the next to fall. <laughs> just saying right there's and it's, it's a beautiful thing new hampshire constitutional carry uh there's no permit for concealed carry nothing for open carry the only reason to get a permit here is for the reciprocity uh you know with the with the neighboring states 
uh, or so, certain some of the neighboring states, because even that's a fucking logistical nightmare in and of itself. And it shall issue, and it only costs ten bucks. So for ten bucks, you fill out a form, and they go like, "Here's your gun license," and that's all you need. And you don't even need that uh, in state. So if, you, if you're not leaving the state, you don't need anything. Yeah, so that's wonderful. It is so wonderful. Yeah. So you know, you, you see in New Hampshire, you see a dude walking around with a bulletproof face mask on. And why not? If you really want to test it, by all means, you can test it. But, you know, testing has consequences. Uh, so we'll see. But I, again, just, just the whole just the whole malicious compliance. If I got to wear it, I'm going to be as menacing as possible while doing so. Okay. And the bulletproof. Okay. The bullet won't go through the mask. But my guess is that your head's not still necessarily going to be on your shoulder. Um, it, it'll it. The face won't have a bullet hole in it, but I'm guessing that a you know a bullet uh, hitting that face mask is going to give you pretty good whip, whiplash. If, if not. probably, yeah. But like I said, if I'm still standing, right, you you may you may find yourself with, with, with turn fire, I, and, and you're not going to get whiplash on on the online here, and and they're not really the. They've got to be stealth designed. In other words, you don't want one that's just rounded. You want one that's got these these uh, angles that will deflect a bullet. Well, I think so, round would be the best for that, right? Because it's, it's there's no flat edge at all. Um. Well, I don't know. I think a nice pointed peak with a you know like a a vortex from your nose to uh, the the facing backward would be a a good way to have it deflecting the bullet okay. better than just a round one. If I was doing it, yeah, I'd go for that. Boy, these prices like a bulletproof plague doctor mask? Is that what you... Yeah, that's what yeah, I'm picturing. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Plague doctor mask. I don't know. I'll, I'll leave it up to the designers and what they think is best. <laughs> yeah, but also you, you like the intimidation factor. I do. You like to be able to, to stand in front of a clerk at at mcdonald's and uh have them so frightened and be in their pants that they're going to just give you whatever you want without asking for the money back you know <laughs> they might even give you all the money in the register <laughs> maybe <laughs> so oh, could you could you do one of those plague masks you know long nose that it's got a little dripping at the at the end too you know so you could do it can... i could put the plague mask over the bulletproof mask and just you know it may not deflect <laughs> it but it's still you know so, That's you know, I, there's one time uh, when I was working at the gas station. I don't know if I've ever shared this story on air. Um, you know, working at the gas station, we had access to free food, right? There were certain things that as part of our compensation package, we were allowed to eat. Um, and the rule at the time was if it doesn't have a barcode, uh, you can eat it. So if we made it in-house, it was fair game. Um, me and uh, my buddy, uh, Raven, um, got to talking to the the employees at the sushi shop uh in the same shopping center and so we had like a reciprocity deal with them because you know you get tired of gas station food they get tired of sushi uh you know they can come in they can grab like our sandwich or whatever and we'd go over there and grab a roll of sushi or you know a poke bowl or whatever and there was one time that you know we went in um you know to to get our our sushi and our poke bowl and there was a dude like manning the register who was not aware of this deal that we had worked out. He was, he was not a part of it. Right. That's so, dangerous. so I walk in, well, I mean, he's, you know, we're, we're still men. And he was still, you know, like a high school kid. So I totally like, you know, my buddy Raven called this the Jedi mind trick afterwards because, you know, he's, he, I go like, ah, oh, let me get my pokeball or whatever. And he starts to like punch it in the register. And I just went, don't ring that up. And he, and he he looked like dumbfounded, and I just went, yeah, just don't ring that up, you know. They'll make it. You don't have to ring it up. And like the kid looked weird, and then he looked in the back, and the girls like went, yeah, it's okay. And then he just, you know, we we got our food, and so my buddy Rafe he goes like, dude, you just totally Jedi mind tricked him. Like I have to try that the next time I go out, right, just to see how they'll respond, because it's such a weird thing to say you don't know how they're going to take it, right? If you just like, you know, wherever you go, go to McDonald's and order your food. And when they like, when they start to punch it in, just go, just don't ring that up. Now I'll take the food. Just don't ring that up and see what happens. So (laughs) 
It was it, that was also a pretty cool thing. I and I didn't even need the scary mask at that time to do that. It was just you know because of the reciprocity. And we've done that before. Like we, you know, when I, I worked at a salad restaurant, yeah, you get sick of eating salads. Right next door to us was a, a Teddy's bigger burger. They get sick of eating hamburgers, so we'd give them a salad. They'd bring us a burger and fries, and you know, so it went. Now let me ask you this, Ken, since you're you're you know. You, you take the libertarian side of things. Um, I didn't find anything wrong with that because we were each entitled to our employee meal and then we traded. Uh, do you find anything objectionable with that from a, a libertarian slash property rights perspective that you can make an argument for? No, you can make any arrangement you want, but I think it's important for you to inform all your employees of it so that they, you know, I, I when you were describing that, I was thinking on something just yesterday. I was at uh, Lowe's um standing in line to order something and this one guy walked through with a baby carriage with i guess there was a baby in his baby carriage but there's this big compartment underneath and it's filled with stuff and he walks through and all those bells and whistles go off at the door uh with the big uh recording saying uh you've just walked out without disabling the you know the uh, control systems on here. Please go back to the cash register. Well, the the woman. There were two people at the cash register. One was a supervisor, and they were looked. They were busy with things, and they looked over and they said, "Ah, I, you know, I what what can I do about it? I can't do anything about it." And I was thinking, well, that's that's uh, sad. That guy's just gone off with something from the store, and uh, and he knows that he can get by with it, or he. He's got this baby as an excuse, uh, you know, pretty abusive. But the employees are, are in a tough spot. If they don't know about these rules, then they can get into trouble. If they start to challenge somebody and raise a ruckus, call the police or or uh, challenge you on something they think is improper, uh, it puts them in a bond. But in a bond. Yeah. But that's that's between the, the employers, you know, to arrange that stuff and have good practices. But it's there's nothing... Uh, technically wrong with it from a from a libertarian okay good just making sure uh you know you talk about shoplifting one of the things that i always found weird is that same situation that you described where someone walks through and the alarms go off Um, i've had that happen to me a number of times because they forgot to demagnetize something at the register yeah right. right and very infrequently uh, have I been sent back to get it demagnetized? Because a lot of times this is at like, uh, you know, Best Buy. So it's electronics. Yeah, they it's the, they the get DVD. used to that happening all the time too. And they just, they wave you through, right? right? They go like, oh, cashier missed it again. Just come on by. We saw you at the register paying for your stuff. Um, so I always, you know, I never did it. Uh, but I always thought like, if you're going to shoplift something, like load up the stuff you're shoplifting and then just go through the register and buy like the one thing. Because you'll beep, you're like, "Hey, dude! Like, I got the bag, I got the receipt right here," and security will likely just wave you through, you know. And you yeah. say likely wave you through, but yeah. Yeah, unless, there unless they're watching you with a with a camera. Chance. Yeah, there is that one percent chance, and that that's um, huge in terms of arrest and criminal record and and penalties and stuff like that. And Maybe not the first time. Maybe maybe ex- excuse the first time, or if you're underage. But uh, it's you know. So do it while you're 16, kids. Yeah, <laughs> I remember seeing uh, breakfast at Tiffany's. You know, Audrey Hepburn, and uh, it, it was sort of a cute thing that they shoplifted at Tiffany's and walked out of the store with something and laughed about it. And then uh, I thought, well, shoot, you know if. If somebody just tries that and gets caught or something, they, you know, they, you know, it's very different than just a funny thing. I mean, it's stealing too. So you're saying the movie set a bad example for viewers? Definitely, definitely, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, I I hear that, and then I just I see other movies, and I go like, they they're bad examples all over the place. Oh, right? yeah, like yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't look, I wouldn't look to the movies to something purposes. to get away with. That's that's right. They, it, well, but a lot of people do. Uh, but you're right. Movies do it because it's it's eye catching and, and it makes it an in, more interesting story. Um, you know, yeah. just like well, uh, well, people glorify bank robbers all the time. Yeah, yeah. In movies, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. But even even that, right? It's not like how do I want to phrase this? 
it's not like you go like, oh, that's how it's done, and therefore I can do it. Uh, more so, the movies you know glorify the wrong way to do it. You're more likely to get caught uh, because the movie. <laughs> Because that's not how things work in real life, and the and movies have a tendency to condition people uh, in the wrong things, right? Like you know the the whole um, Miranda rights issue in movies, right? Is is so wrong, and people get tripped up on it because they start asking the you know the cops ask them questions and they start answering, and they go, "Ha, you can't use this because you haven't read me my rights yet." Uh, but you're not under arrest yet. We're just, you know, this is not the time for that. And you just volunteered a whole bunch of information because you thought it was different because of the movie that you saw or the whole, like, you know, the, the, the home invasion aspect of things, right. You know, people just get used to it because they see it in the movies. So I don't know. I don't know if I would trust movies for advice on how to get things done. I mean, you're right whether or not it's worth trusting, but people do. And in a sense, this whole socialist mentality of young people around around the world, around the country, uh, is based on, it's not whether stealing was right or wrong, it's whether I stole from a person who was rich enough to afford it or who, who have made out of, had a compromised uh, uh, history of how he got it. I mean, I can make a rationalization for, for theft. Um, in a lot of different ways. And, that, and that's what movies a lot of times do. They, they don't set out a principle of theft as being wrong. They set it out as it's always qualified. Yeah. And it's, it's weird how people shift positions on that kind of thing as well, because I've, there's a, I have a, an acquaintance or, you know, I've never met her in real life on social media. Um, but I, I know of her through like libertarian circles. Right. Mm. She was once, you know, a part of the thing. And I didn't engage in this discussion, but I was just reading through it because, you know, she came, it was, it was based on the healthcare issue. She like, she just came from, you know, England with national healthcare. And then now she's in Portland where they're rioting and protesting. And apparently she got, you know, hit with some gas or whatever. And she's having some health issues because of that. But because she just moved, um, she's, she doesn't have access to healthcare or health insurance. And she was like, you know, this is messed up. I just came from Britain where I could go to any place I want and get healthcare and get treated for anything I need without, you know, without having a problem. And then I come back to the United States and here I am, you know, coughing up, shitting out blood and like, and without health insurance, there's no place I can go. How do you libertarians propose to solve this issue? Mm -hmm. You know, and when they go like, well, no one's responsible for your health, you know, like the, you got to take care of that yourself. And the response back was, this is why libertarians will never, you know, be, be popular because they don't, they have no compassion towards ailing individuals, you know? So I, you know, I'll, I'll throw it over to you guys. What's the response to that? Because th this goes back to our thin, thick libertarian discussion last week. Uh, I'm with the, I'm with the opposition. Right, like she should have planned ahead. If you don't have health insurance, maybe you don't go to a riot. Maybe, right? I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's more important to you, um, or you just accept the fact that yeah, in a, in 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 polite society and libertarian society or whatever, where there's no state involvement forcing people to provide medical care, uh, you are on your own, and you got to figure out figure stuff well, out for yourself. Actually, uh, there's a yes and a no on that. Uh, Prior to the state intervention, there were lots of mutual aid societies. So, you know, we look at the history of things like the Lodge Club, the Moose Club, the Rotary Club, the Kiwanis Club. The, the root of all of those social organizations and all the churches and all were mutual aid societies. You joined them because they were your insurance. They were your uh, not insurance. They were insurance for a lot of things. For one thing, they they. Uh, joined together and provided uh, health care. They provided uh, retirement benefits. They provided emergency assistance. They provided, uh, provided education. <clears throat> it's the government intervention that gave people to think, oh, we don't have to do this now. We don't even have to worry about, care about our families now because the government's going to do that for us. And so it's displaced the personal, that whole motive for personal responsibility and it didn't, it, you know, it's not like it never existed. There was always benevolent 
uh, protective societies that helped each other out. And that's why in a community, you had a motive to make good relations with your friends, your neighbors, your community, because it was your part of your, your long-term insurance. You made, you had a motive to keep good relations with your family members, to take care of your children, have your children know that, <coughs> that in the future, you, they, they were expected to be taking care of uh, uh, the elderly and everybody in your family. Um, and I would say that the government's intervention on these uh, take care of us attitudes shattered the family, shattered the community, shattered the church, shattered the, uh, all of these social drivers for mutual cooperation. So in the long run, and of course the government in its way of handling this stuff out is, is a failure the way they did in uh, uh, China or, or even in England or in Canada. You know, they talk about it being free if you're willing to wait a year or two for, uh, for the services. Yeah. Uh, and even uh, the quality is not something you have any choice about. So uh, I'd say that the, uh, it's been disastrous for those personal care things that we look to in society. I generally agree with you, but let's stick with her situation just for a minute because I think it might have something unique um, that I don't that I'm generally curious if if you have an answer on how the mutual aid aspect would would take care of that. She's she recently moved, right? So she's joining, uh, she's reintegrating into a community or integrating into a community that she may not have any uh, connection with. So how would how would the mutual aid society, whatever, take care of that? In her case, is that like something that you have to do as soon as you move, find the church um, and start paying your dues or find a, a club and start paying your dues? Is that, you know, if you just get into town, you don't know anybody yet, um, who can you turn to for that type of mutual support um, absent the, the state mandate that the hospital must serve you? Okay, that's a good point. I mean, you, <clears throat> you can say, okay, at this instant, uh, what do you do? And that's like saying, well... <clears throat> Um, uh, did did the <clears throat> if if please forgive me for using this kind of example, but I often feel it's <clears throat> a similar type of circumstance. Suppose that somebody says the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, and the Hitler's running uh, rampant in in Europe. You did have to go to war. You did have to draft everybody. Okay, the, at the last incident, your action and behavior may be different than if you had looked at the roots of those problems in the first place years before. And of course, the, the, the roots of the problems don't necessarily solve your, your case right now, but it, it, it explains why your case is bad. In other words, she's, she's trying to say, my case is bad. I can't get health care because it's not the way it should be, rather than saying, what, <laughs> you know, why isn't it the way it should be right now? Now, right. if you want to, and you actually touched on it, yes, that's why churches are international in their scope. They have uh, denominations with branches all over the world, all over the country, so that when you, if you're a Presbyterian in one community and you go to another community, you can join the Presbyterians and, and have an instant uh, connection with them. You can do that with Rotary everywhere in the world. You can do that. Actually, that's why the immigrants, when they first came from Ireland, first went to an Irish community because they had um, a, a connection with them and they had a bond that, that was sort of mutually protective and they would look out for them. It was part of their, their cultural root and familiarity. Um, and it's, my guess is that this woman who came from another place, if she, you know, I, I would say, yeah, she wasn't being very smart if she thought that she's just going to go to another place and then... Uh, and just assume that without any connection that she's going to be able to be fine. I mean, you have that the same connection when you travel. When you travel, people say, oh, well, we can count on the U.S. Embassy. Well, the U.S. Embassy isn't going to take care of them. But there used to be a thing called American Express. American Express used to have international travel uh, assistance to you, medical care, insurance, uh, traveler's checks, uh, mail delivery, all kinds of things. I remember traveler's checks. By, I used them by joining with American Express, you got all of these services, but you paid for it. You paid for a fee in order to get all of those services. Now, because people assume, oh, the government's going to take care of that through your embassy, we don't have to have American Express. American Express fell out of disfavor, lost its, uh, gave up all of these international services. And then what do you get? You're left with an embassy that <laughs> that really won't do anything for you. 
that's probably in case you're a valuable business and they want to have connections back home and and uh with contributions and so on and then you'll help they'll help you get a uh business connection or something like that that's probably another one of those situations that are skewed in the movies right foreigner off the well just just crashed the gates of the american embassy and whoof saved right Right. until you try that in real life and they go no you're not allowed here well yeah crash you'd be shot immediately by the (laughs) marines at the gate yeah and for good reason you know have you noticed when you travel around the world how almost every well every american embassy is like a bunker they've got these massive walls and barriers and everything well that tells you about what what people think of america when they in these other countries they're they're um they're they're bunkers you know they're they've they got some military cement, installation cement barriers all around them they've got massive military uh, uh uh guards you don't expect that at the swiss embassy swiss embassy you walk up and walk in the front door and there's no no barriers outside and um I mean, it's it's a completely different world when the United States has engendered so much host, uh, hatred all around the world because of its aggressive behavior. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's a it's a military insta- installation in practice. Oh yeah. But so, yeah. so, but what do you do? You know, like, if that if that's what you're thinking, you're you're going to have a bad time trying to get in. Uh, you know, and like you said, you know, American Express. Uh, I remember Traveler's Checks. I've I've used those. Um, but now, you know, you can still get uh, traveler's insurance for medical things, right? That's a whole separate thing, but you're right. You have to have responsibility, uh, for your own actions and for your own life and for your own well-being, because that stuff's not just handed to you. You have to seek it out, uh, and prepare yourself, you know, for the, for, you know, for, the, for the events to come, right? You're, you're going out of town, uh, buy some insurance, right? I mean, I'm, we, we could we could have a whole conversation on insurance and I may not even take the same position I am now, uh, but it's available, right? That's, that's why you get it. You know, we, we took a class and part of it was, yeah, you got to have your insurance papers in order. And I'm going, all right, fine. I'll go, I'll, I'll get the traveler's insurance just in case uh, to comply, yeah. but it's available. It's available. I would think that hardcore hikers who go up in the mountains and so on, um, you know, they, they can either be well prepared before they go and inform people and have cell phones and have a medical pack in their in their uh, backpack or and plenty of water and all that sort of thing. And they have an extra motive to be prepared when they are taking risks. Now, if you're not, you know, presumably you could also pay an insurance uh, fee, like $100 a year to have rescue insurance. Or you just go out there and you call and say, I'm in trouble. So then some, you know, state agency spends $10,000 to send out a helicopter to find you and rescue you. And then that falls on the taxpayers. Well, of course, that encourages, that's the whole concept of moral hazard. It encourages reckless behavior when you put the burden of the cost on somebody else. The same thing with with as that medical stuff. You you know, why should a, why should a non-smoker have to pay for all of the the uh, medical issues of a smoker, but the the national health insurance doesn't distinguish between uh, somebody who's living a reckless life and another person who's not. The Castle Hospital had a little brochure one time that I, I saw in the weight room of their of their hospital that said eighty percent of the people in the hospital are there for lifestyle related diseases. Or, or conditions, yeah. you know, smoking, drinking, uh, reckless driving, uh, bad eating habits, uh, you know, all the things that they could have prevented on their own. But people get reckless when they feel that they won't have to bear the cost of it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I am one of those hypocrites that took advantage of that. Um, when I got hit by a car, right. I was uninsured. I was medically uninsured at the time. Um, and as I was, you know, laid up in the hospital, they went here, sign these forms. We're going to get your insurance approved retroactively, uh, so that I didn't have to pay for anything. (laughs) Well, that's great. I don't, I'm never going to pay for insurance again. (laughs) If you're just going to sign me up for the free, if you're just going to sign me up for the free stuff and you know what, I, after all the paperwork went through and never saw a bill. So fantastic. Uh, 
I talked to a, a friend of mine uh, probably about a month or so ago at our weekly dinner meetup, and you know we were talking about the whole health insurance, medical insurance thing. And he said that you know for his family plan, right? His his medical family plan, his his portion of the insurance payment was like thirty thousand dollars a year. I went, that's insane for the insurance. Like, hmm. what what could you po- How much doctor's appointments could you possibly be going to to you know where you're where you're coming out ahead of a thirty thousand dollar you know insurance bill? How big a family was this? I think he's got like two kids, like so wife oh and gosh. two kids. That's that seems way through the roof. I mean, I, right? Yeah. So, but I mean, it, it it bolstered my position. Like, there's no way I'm paying for that. Like, there's there's no way you there's no way you could get me to like do any type of labor, and that's the cut for a service that I may or may not use. Right? I'd rather put it into like a medical savings account or just you know have a savings account to dip into uh, if and when the need arises, then just flush that much away in insurance payments uh, for a family plan. Insane. Well, you know, one, one of the, uh, that's on the, on the uh, payment side, but on the cost side, I think that the government's intervention uh, in the medical world is what has made it so expensive in the first place. Um, you know, we're most of the focus is on the insurance and how people are can how they can pay for this stuff. But I like to point to a hundred years ago the Flexner report and government uh, medical licensing laws that drove out of business uh, all competing forms of of medicine. Uh, they drove out of business about half of the medical schools in the country. Uh, they shut down all the all the medical schools that served blacks and women and. Uh, uh, a lot of Jews were excluded in those days. So, uh, I mean, it was a way of tremendously limiting the number of people who could qualify for medical insurance. I would refer people to the work and research by uh, Ronald Hamowy and how he argues that the state's medical licensing laws eliminated a tremendous variety of options in the medical treatment world and uh, and made it very expensive. So that... People had to treat themselves if they couldn't afford to go to a doctor. But prior to that, there were we had the most number of doctors uh, per capita of any of the industrial countries of the world, uh, twice as many as as all the countries of Europe, um, because it was very cheap and inexpensive and easy to get into. It was a matter of certification. You know, all the all the medical schools uh, were were trying to build a reputation uh, and. Uh, attract uh, people who wanted to be in that profession, and uh, you know, and and um, provide competition in terms of services and alternative approaches to medicine. But you got one particular form of medicine. I would say it was the American Medical Association that it was used primarily to lock out all their competition and be the the stranglehold on the people entering into the business. And that's that's sort of true with uh, with other areas of medicine too, the hospitals themselves. Right now, you want to open up a hospital on Maui? No way. You've got to get a certificate of need from the state, which allows any competing hospital to say, well, there's no need for a hospital. We already provide the services. So any competitor can drive you out of business. Yeah, that was a big, that was a big thing that came up at the beginning of the coronavirus. Why, why aren't we, why don't we have capacity for all this? Well, because you're not allowed to build hospitals. Yeah, yeah. And all of that doesn't even touch on the insurance side of things, right? Which, from my understanding, and feel free to correct me or course correct me, uh, can stem from uh, ridiculously high wealth taxes on income at one point in time where they went, well, the, the companies went, well, in order to save you money by not taxing, you know, by not paying you more in dollars uh, that'll get taxed away, uh, we're going to provide you with benefits, like medical insurance, uh, and got tied it into the the companies there, uh, and now people are uh, upset about that, right? They go like, "Well, you're not the companies have your employees held hostage uh, because you you can't you don't feel good about leaving the organization because your medical care is tied to them, right? So how do we separate medical insurance from uh, you know from from the organ from the companies?" Uh, 
now. But it was mandated, right? It, it, it was a thing where it was like, oh, it was just part of your bonus, your, your benefits package. Then it became mandated. Uh, and now it's it was, locked in. Yeah, it was in World War II when there were limits on how you could, you couldn't pay people more. So they paid them more. They offered pay through their benefits, which weren't counted as such and were tax deductible too. So for the companies, it was a advantageous way of getting around those wage control um, uh, laws and so on. So a government created problem leading to more problems down the line. Uh, but just like, you know, our, our little uh, friend example, we are where we are now. So we can give people the history of how we got here. Um, and that could serve as a good introduction to not trusting the government for solutions. Uh, but we still, you know, uh, maybe not we, but, you know, there's still a, there's still the idea out there that this is a crisis that needs to be solved somehow. And the problem is most people are looking to the state, the government, to solve it for them, right? By either single payer or price controls or, again, separating it out, you know, getting it away from the, the companies offering those benefits and putting it back in the hands of the individual, uh, again, most likely through that single payer thing. So how do, how do we, uh, I'll use we this time, how do we convince the people calling for that 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 is a bad idea? And are we obligated to offer a solution, if any, on how to solve this medical price crisis uh, that we currently have? Yeah, persuading people about these problems is that's always the tough issue because it's um, yeah, I, I think it and, and I so often get irritated with people saying, well, they need to learn economics. Well, no, they need to learn economics from the right philosophical background. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't do any good to get economics from Marx or Keynes uh, to, but then, I don't know, I get frustrated with textbooks, for example, that talk about taxes, whereas I think if you're really being honest, you have to talk about it as government theft, uh, but no textbook is going to offer it that way. And I think that that's, you know, if you're, if you're direct and blunt with people and you say, well, the state, in order to provide uh, medical insurance um, for everybody, has to steal from healthy people in order to provide to people who are encouraged to be unhealthy in their behavior. And uh, if you if you could be more blunt about it, I think if people would, would see the picture a little bit better. Will they though? Because I don't, I don't know if I've experienced that well, they, personally. Course, okay. They across the board, no, but some people, yes, some people know. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how you and I came to these ideas. I mean, we, we, we had the same exposure that most everybody else did, but we had a, for some reason, we had a different philosophical switch in our brain that said, no, you don't accept immoral behavior uh, from politicians and from the, from the government officials and all just because they wear hats. Right. And I think for me personally, coming to that was a lot easier um, because I never felt ingrained or a part of the system. Right. Like I, you know, for me personally, um, I was, I never went into the military. I never had a government job. Um, I've never registered to vote. So I was, I was never, I, I was never on the side of things where like having the state benefit me in some way, uh, you had to convince me to give up those benefits. Right. So I, I felt like I came through more from a pure uh, logical, moral, and ethical position. Um, but I've even heard, like, I remember listening to interviews with like other libertarians or quote unquote libertarians, um, who were in like, you know, state jobs and, you know, like, oh, yeah, no, I know it's immoral to, to hold this job, uh, because, you know, I've, I've changed my mind and I'm a libertarian now. And, uh, I, I are. <laughs> right. But then they go, but I've only got four more years until retirement. So I'm just going to keep doing the immoral thing for four more years because I've put all this time and energy into it personally, you know, that I can't, I can't quit now. And I, you know, I'm like, I'm glad I'm in, I'm not in that position. I've never been in that position where I'd have to give up those state benefits. So I think it's harder to convince people, um, who, who have something to lose if they change their mind, right? Like I had nothing to lose. I go, oh yeah, it makes sense. Let's do it that way. You know, <laughs> mm -hmm. 
how, it's not too different than the way I'm currently doing it. Just more, you know, with more principles and, and, and more ethics involved. Uh, but even that, you know, we, we can bring it back to the current situation, right? How do you, what, what are we going to do to get people back to work? Uh, cause no one wants to go back to work. And I go, well, the president's cutting the, the federal, uh, unemployment aid. That'll motivate people, right? Stop, stop feeding the bears and the bears go looking for food. Um, but at the same time, they're locking down the businesses that would hire them. <laughs> yeah. Which is insane. Yeah, and you can comment more on that. Uh, again, you know, I, I get the updates. Hawaii's uh, pushed back to October 1st now, something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wanted to touch on that because uh, not not the whole lockdown thing, uh, but MC, you shared a picture uh, online on social media, uh, and I thought it was hilarious. And then you shared a, a, a just a devastating story kind of in regard to the same thing. The whole like where you can and cannot be on the beach. Uh, so I'm gonna try to describe this picture that I saw on social media. It was basically uh, a line, a literal line drawn in the sand. Uh, and on one side of the line, it said legal. And on the other side of the line, it said illegal. And the legal side of the line was like wet and closer to the water. Like you could be, you could lay on the beach if you were like partially in the water. But the minute you crossed over that line into dry sand area, no, you can't be there anymore. Like that was, it, it was it was a great image because it was a literal line in the sand. Well, it, it depends on what you're wearing. Remember? Apparently so. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm seeing so, if you want to tell that story. So a friend of a friend was walking to the beach uh, to go wading in the water, not swimming, just, you know, walking in the water, maybe up to get her your, knees. Get your toes wet a little bit, cool yeah. off the legs. And uh, the, the police stopped her on her way to walk into the water and said, uh, you can't be here. Uh, come over here. We need to talk. And she's like, I'm just walking to the water. And they said, no, you can't do that. You're not in a proper attire for swimming. And she said, I know I'm not in a proper attire for swimming. That's I'm just going to walk up to my knees in the water. And they said, nope, you're getting a $2,000 fine. How asinine is that? <laughs> Stupid. So, so now, now to go to the beach, not only is there a line, a literal line in the sand of where you can and cannot be, uh, but you have to be wearing appropriate attire, right? So like no, no bathing suit, no swimming. And I assume it's just because the cops thought she was trying to, to fool them, like, uh, to, to skirt around their rules somehow, because if, if you are surfing or have your uh, bathing suit on then you can swim and it's totally legal look you can swim without that stuff on because i've gone in shorts true and shirt because hey we weren't planning on this but we're getting in the fucking water because it's there technically it's possible but not if the cops are there and planning on shooting you if you disobey their orders yeah i mean later in life i've you know i've i've gone to the beach and you know i've eschewed uh, sunscreen, uh, in favor of like a, a, you know, a breathable running shirt because I just, I feel more comfortable with a shirt on, uh, call it what you will. I got a lot of sunburn as a kid playing sports and being outside. And I just don't feel the need for that kind of pain and aggravation. So I, I have swim shorts on and a shirt and that's how I get into the water. And you know, it's one of those quick dry shirts, but whatever. Uh, so I may not look like a beach goer. I may look like a runner. Right. Am I going to get in trouble for, you know, protecting my skin against sun damage? Because I went, because I walked toward the water with a shirt and a hat on with my sunglasses. Not surfing. Is that a problem now? Like, is my normal beach gear going to get me a, a $2,000 ticket? Do I have to worry about that? It's nonsense. So I hope she fights that. I hope she wins. And for the cops, like, couldn't you have monitored that situation for uh, like one more minute? If she's headed toward the beach, can we give her the benefit of the doubt and see if she veers left or right uh, before you assault her and, and you know, fire well, her and rob her? Yeah, I also have to take into account that, that because they shut all the businesses down, the state is uh, collecting less revenue. So, Ah, so this is a revenue drive then. I mean, conspiracy theory, but $2,000 for not having a swimsuit on, that's uh, it's quite steep. Maybe we got to get a call the fashion police and see if that's a an acceptable fine for that. But and, I hear there's, you. There's also the th- the threat. So the the maximum is five thousand dollars, I believe. And 
Oh, so they let her off lightly. Possible one year in prison. So I'm I'm wondering, like, if you're running against Ige and and you go to the beach without your swimsuit on, if you get if that's how you get the year in prison, because you're now a challenger to his to the, his his, his authority. Yeah. yeah, that you know, man. I, so, this is one of the things. Like, I wish you guys were here because if you guys were here, or if this was going on here, uh, we've got our you know our uh, candidate for governor, uh, nobody. Uh, who may just ha- who who may have just decided to do that just to like just to test uh, the you know the mandate and like I said um, here you know there there they got that nonsense here with the masks you know the 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 mask ordinance came down in one of the the local cities and they mandated it and just straight away someone filed a lawsuit uh, and then a couple of weeks ago where you know Free Talk Live has hosted the city of Keene um, they passed a mask mandate. And, you know, one of the, one of the guys out there reached out to the same attorney who was handling the other one to say, Hey, now we can sue Keen too. Um, and so even win or lose, right. I just, I like the mentality of pushback here that I don't think I quite found there in Hawaii. Like, is anyone, is anyone filing suit? Like is the libertarian party of Hawaii doing anything there? to you know for that is the grassroots institute like are they do, what is going on there to fight against the nonsense of the governor well the uh the, there are lawsuits being pressed um I, i've heard of uh, there are actually several lawyers who are doing it mark victor is the one that i know most <coughs> and i think one of his strongest <coughs> points that he's making is that While there are emergency powers in the state of Hawaii that give the governor up to 60 days to uh, impose almost, uh, you know, unbridled law, it's limited to 60 days. And after that point, the legislature has to authorize an extension of it. I mean, because within 60 days, it's assumed that uh, the the legislature has time to meet and and act. Sure. Either to extend it or sanction whatever. But uh, now it's been, that would have ended on May the 5th, but the governor keeps issuing these extensions of yeah. the, and never even asked the legislature for, uh, for authority to do what he's doing. And, and he's just assumed, I mean, you could essentially have a dictator uh, unbridled because he just says, well, I'm sorry, the 59 days of up, uh, I'm going to issue an extension for and that's- other reasons or more reasons. That's going on everywhere. Like all, just about all the lockdown states, right, including New Hampshire, uh, oh, yeah. just keeps getting extension after extension. With you know the the rules change a little bit every couple of weeks or whatever. Um, but yeah, they just went. Where does it end, and what needs to be done to stop it? Because if, if they have their you know little governor fiefdoms or whatever, it seems to me that it's just a power grab all the way around. Like they're all go, they're all looking at each other, going like. Oh my gosh! This emergency powers thing—we have total control, and no one's pushing back because everyone's in favor of this. And as long as we throw money at them, right, with the the the, the stimulus and the unemployment, uh, they're getting a lot of support, right? So yeah, it's because of the broad panic, the fear. People are so fearful of um, this this virus; they're willing to give up everything. Are and people still fearful? Well. You, 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 that's the collective. Uh, some people are, and and some are, are panicked. I know that a lot of faculty at uh, at the schools are panicked about having to have to deal with students coming into their classroom, and they're older people, and they're worried about it, and um, and so they want everything online or just suspended. I mean, yeah, that's true. Maybe every kind of business, but there but, are other people who are not worried at all about it. But they're also worried about losing their paycheck. Yeah, yeah, and you can bet they complain either way. Yeah, yeah. I said I I said an article off to the side. It's not part of the the show prep that I had for this show, uh, but it's basically schools double dipping on payment because school is closed, schools are locked down, schools are unessential, um, but parents need daycare, so they're using the empty schools for daycare that parents then need to pay for. So you can't, so you're being taxed to send your child to school 
uh, or you're being taxed for the school that you're unable to send your child to. And then you're being charged for the daycare at the same facility, uh, you know, because it's not school, it's daycare. Mm-hmm. So they're, you know, like you said, MC, they're, they're hurting for funds because they locked everything down and now the state has no tax revenue and they're, they conspiracy theory or not, man, the state's always looking for money. Um, they're trying to find other ways to, to keep those coffers filled. KS, MC. Well, do we have any good news or do we have headlines at least to read? Uh, I can read through the headlines. We're getting close to the end. I don't know if, if there's a short one we can get to. Maybe, maybe chaos will pick one and we'll, I'll try to be brief with it. Headline, cops go undercover to catch pedophile, bust fellow cop trying to have sex with a child. <laughs> I'm sure he was just investigating the crime. Yeah, I'm sure. Must have been it, yeah. He's all excited for the new Netflix movie, Cutie. Uh, headline, <laughs> consumer advocacy groups, the missing piece. Uh, headline, what will not recover? Government. Uh, headline, man, uh, cops arrest man for having their feelings hurt by his satire police Facebook page. Uh, headline, Tennessee officials want to make monthly well-being inspections of every child in the state. And finally, headline, ride sharing and the absurdity of protecting workers out of a job. Uh, now, I know I said I'd throw this to you, Ken, but if we want to, uh, the consumer advocacy group, the missing piece seems to be the most brief of those. If that one well, jumped out at more, you, what is it? I don't, I don't understand it. All right, let's just read through it then, and then you can comment. Right. Uh, often, the free market anarchist response to dealing with business misconduct includes the ability for workers to find a new job, consumers to buy a new product, etc. The more fleshed-out version of this ideal includes wildcat unionism, mass boycotts, pickets, and demonstrations. And yes, workers should absolutely be able to use collective bargaining tactics to fight for better working conditions, just as consumers should be able to engage in mass boycott campaigns to address their own concerns. But workers employed in the same workplace can more easily communicate with one another and can utilize the union structure to communicate and achieve their goals. Consumers do not have the same benefits. Sure, grassroots consumer boycotts movements have sprung up, such as the March Against Monsanto and others. Consumers will also often show their support for union campaigns by participating in complementary boycotts, such as with the Coalition of Imokali Workers' ongoing boycott against Wendy's and the recent Amazon and Uber Lyft strikes boycotts. But this, again, benefits from the resources available to the workers organizing the campaign in the first place. So how do consumers organize themselves? What's the missing piece to this puzzle? Consumer advocacy groups seek to protect people from corporate abuse like unsafe products, predatory lending, false advertising, astroturfing, and pollution. Consumer advocacy groups may operate via protest, litigation, campaigning, or lobbying. They can engage in single-issue advocacy, uh, for example, the right to repair, which campaigns for the right of consumers to prepare the products they own without corporate interference or barriers, or they may set themselves up for more general consumer watchdogs, such as the Consumer Reports or Public Citizen. The root of consumer advocacy groups can be traced back to two precursor organizations, Standards Organizations and Consumers Leagues, both of which appeared in the United States in the 1900s. Trade associations and professional societies established standards organizations to reduce industry waste and increase productivity. Consumer leagues modeled themselves after trade unions in their attempt to improve the market with boycotts in the same way that unions sought to improve working conditions with strike actions. Consumer advocacy groups can range from more legislative-focused to more market-focused. The more market-focused groups, such as Consumer Reports, provides members with independent product tests, professional reviews, crowdsourcing personal consumer experience, and the ability to comparison shop to find the highest quality products, updates on strikes, boycotts, and legal actions, and more. This allows consumers to share their experience, avoid shitty products and businesses with bad labor practices, and coordinate mass action in response to business misconduct. Consumer advocacy groups, along with apps such as Bicot, Wildcat Labor Unions, Alt Labor Organizations, and private certification groups, all offer us realistic ways to stop businesses from abusing workers, consumers, the environment, and the surrounding communities. We must actively dispel the idea and the free market would allow businesses to run free without any checks or balances. 
Instead, we must pr prove that the market can be the best regulator of all by promoting and expanding these types of resources and organizations in the here and now without the state. It's up to us. So there you go. Consumer advocacy groups. Uh, your thoughts, KS, MC? Sure. I like uh, consumer advocacy groups. I uh, but the problem with any groups, whether it's, I mean, I don't have any objection to a labor union or to a consumer advocacy group or a, uh, an association of businesses, so long as they don't go to the government for their, uh, to enforce their will. And that's the problem with any of these things. Uh, all too often, consumer ag advocacy groups, unions, and, and uh, business associations just find that it's so convenient to go down to the legislature and get the legislature to jump on, pass a law to pass, a, you know, a popular item. And, and then that's when I object to it. Now, MC, you shared a video on social media some weeks ago uh, about the demise of the uh, Suzuki Samurai. Uh, and the gist of the <laughs> video was that uh, the consumer advocacy group was in the wrong by purposefully trying to, uh, to to get a lower rating and to cause this vehicle to fail so that they could you know so that they could you know give it a failing grade mm -hmm. in their report so can you trust consumer advocacy groups or who watches the watchers well not always that's my answer <laughs> <laughs> ks thoughts um, yeah, no, that's that's true you've got to see what they're doing what their philosophy is that's that's philosophy is the thing that is at the root of any of these institutions i think i think it's much harder for that to happen again now with uh, any consumer advocacy uh or, or consumer consumer product review because there's uh so many sources that you can go to now you know you can go to one and then the uh, another one will put the exact opposite review just to get the views you know, if somebody says, this is the best product ever. Somebody will make another one saying, no, this is the worst one ever, just to get the views. But you can still watch both of them and make your own determination. That is true. Final thoughts from either of you? That sounds nope. so Great good. show. Thanks. Yeah. All right, let's wrap yeah. it. Thank you very much for listening, okay, everybody. Okay. You guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com, on Telegram, t.me slash anarchistexperience, or t.me slash theanarchistexperience. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Aloha. <laughs>